Hi, welcome everyone. So I'm Inga from Healing Radiance. In case this is the first time you're listening, welcome everyone, new and old listeners. Um, let's dive a little into the Akashic Records again. I had some very interesting conversations in the past week or two about the nature of the Akashic Records and also my own view has expanded greatly in the past year or so as I was working with different modalities and uh, healing techniques and connecting to the elements and so on. But I know most of you are probably listening to this podcast because you're interested in the Akashic Records or are working with the Akashic Records. And the issue has been perhaps reflected into the work of many Akashic Record readers. The issue is that our science and our society has operated from the perspective of disconnection for the past over a hundred years. Let me explain a little bit. So, and it's very interesting because we can't really separate what's happening in the spiritual field and even the amount of people who are interested in the Akashic Records. We can't separate them from also the change in scientific paradigm. So let me explain a little bit where I'm going with this. So think that for the past, what, less than 200 years, um, there's the predominant paradigm worldview in science has been that the world is mechanical. It's like a clockwork, mechanistic universe. So there is matter. And incidentally, I grew up um, in a country that propagated sp this view specifically. So um, materialism. Our perspective on science is materialistic. Um, and there were even university courses teaching dialectic materialism or something like that. It was a big thing. But it's not just communism. The science, <laughs> science was the same everywhere. So, yes, you know, mind and reason is a collection of neurons in the brain, right? They are operating, lighting up, dying, whatever it is. And our observable reality is matter. Material things are connected by mechanistic reactions, relations. The science of cause and effect, right? Well, on the surface, that looks fine. You, you know, push a domino brick and then the whole structure falls. Great, yes, that's so you can explain it with gravity, with cause and effect, and the same applies to brain processes. So say, um, for example, addiction is a process in the brain where the brain learns a certain behavior and cannot unlearn it, neural pathways are established, etc., etc. But in recent years, the scientific paradigm is changing because to view 
the universe as purely materialistic, as just matter moving in empty space, and then, you know, colliding and uh, <laughs> coming into some processes and creating something out of nothing. And the body as a machine, right? Your body is a mechanism, biohacking. Uh, minds, uh, every intelligent person should read these books. All the ads you have, that's still a reflection of that old paradigm, very mechanistic. It's like, oh, if you do A, then B happens. Well, it doesn't account for all the situations, all the states when C happens, <laughs> if you do A. And science and scientists uh, in many fields, physics and quantum physics and astrophysics and uh, biology and other, um, has had to acknowledge that the primary stuff, the primary material of the universe is energy and not matter. Matter is very rare. Matter accounts for about 4% of the observable universe. So think of this, like all the stars that you see in the sky, all the... Um, elements, uh, things, stuff that you see, that you can touch, that you can observe as matter, is only 4%. And even in your body, the cells are filled with empty space. If we were to compress it, <laughs> not much would be left. But in the cosmos, you have this these vast stretches of seemingly empty space. And so matter is only 4% of the observable reality. Well, incidentally or not, the conscious perception, what we can consciously understand, see and rationalize, also accounts for about 4% of our experience. The rest is subconscious and superconscious. So the rest happens on the energetic level as well. Because guess what? We are a small universe. Each person is a universe, just on a micro scale. But it is a part of the scientific paradigm now that, well, no, matter is only 4% of the observable reality. So what happens with the rest? What's the rest? And scientists are just beginning to discover, you know, that deeper dimension, that space-time, hyperspace, the uh, implicate order and so on, the quantum vacuum. But that space is filled, not empty. It's a quantum world. It follows different rules from our mechanistic understanding of the universe, the unified field, right? The zero point field. And perhaps one could call it the unified field. But some scientists have proposed that this unified vacuum, this empty, so-called empty space, is the origin 
and the destination of all matter that arises. So it comes from there and it returns to there, right? This dark space. And I will let your visuals fly and emerge, right? Because, for example, I can see the, the dark mother, right? Or the black Madonna or the, the divine, right? To, from whom everything arises and to whom everything returns. Things arise into space and time and they leave space and time. And that is this unified field. Now, from the perspective of the ancients, that field was called the Akasha. Because in ancient India, uh, there was a Sanskrit word, Akasha, and that's where we get the word Akashic records, which in the classically Western tradition became oversimplified, right? So we have the Akashic records, uh-huh, the database of the universe, so tell me about my past lives, how many past lives have I had, and please tell me about the important people in my life, so what is the role of my grandfather in my life? Uh-huh, okay, thank you very much, got you, yeah? ticked off, <laughs> ran away, um, which may or may not be true, but there is a bigger significance to this field, right? It's bigger than this. It's bigger than just information. So if we approach it, my point is, if we approach it with this mechanistic mind, we don't really get what the Akashic field is because it's so much bigger than just a record of information. It's the source of creation itself. So, the Hindu seers, they believed that all things arise from and then go back to this cosmic source, that Akasha. So, and it was also the fundamental element, the first and the last of the five elements, though the air, fire, water, earth, that's the creators of our visible world, right? The, the primordial dragons. And the Akasha is the source of them all. So they originate from this matter, from that invisible, the seemingly empty space, the, the cosmos, that space gives birth to the elements. But it also embraces all their properties and it unifies them. So it's a two-way, it's like a two-directional flow. It always goes back and forth, back and forth, like a circle. So the elements are born from the Akasha, matter is born from the Akasha, and it goes back to it. So now we add the idea of manifestation. So it's not just information, but it's also manifestation flow. The Akasha is the source. It can manifest. And it's the memory of the cosmos. It's the Akashic record because it keeps record of everything that happens. But because the flow is twofold, it also gives it back. So, for example, it informs the cosmos that, oh, that's how a star is made and the star is made. Um, 
So in Raja Yoga, uh, Swami Vivekananda described the concept of Akasha like this. The whole universe is composed of two materials, one of which they call Akasha, and the other is Prana, the energizing force. Akasha is the omnipresent, all-penetrating existence. Everything that has form, everything that is the result of combination, is evolved out of this Akasha. It is the Akasha that becomes the air, that becomes the liquids, that becomes the solid. It is the Akasha that becomes the sun, the earth, the moon, the stars, the comets. It is the Akasha that becomes the human body, the animal body, the plants, every form that we see, everything that can be sensed, everything that exists. At the beginning of creation, there is only this Akasha. At the end of the cycle, the solids, the liquids and the gases all melt into the Akasha again, and the next creation similarly proceeds out of this Akasha. This is a concept also similar in Buddhism, in Tibetan Buddhism and Bon religion, that elements dissolve gradually right into that cosmic field, into the nothingness and everythingness. But Akasha itself is a substance that is beyond ordinary perception, right? Because we are woven out of elements, we perceive with our five senses, uh, just like the five elements, there is a reason. Um, but we are in the world of matter, that the world that has been born. So how do we relate to this Akashic field? How do we relate and connect to a field that conveys and processes information? And there was a physicist, John Wheeler, who said, well, the most fundamental feature of the universe is information, not matter, not, not physical qualities. That's actually like an incident, right? Well, it's only 4%. So the rest of the space is information. And information, I don't mean there are books flying around in space. Information as a code, as a substance, finally registered. So, for example, uh, 0101, right, the binary code, that's information. Um, the plant geometry, that's information. Your cells exchange information. Light is information, sound is information. Uh, so it's it, the particles carry information in the sense of uh, f that it's used in physics, not not in the sense that it's used in newspapers, right? So, so that information is is the akashic field. So here we have scientists and readers, intuitives, and seers agree. Turns out, ah, the ancients knew it thousands of years ago. And scientists are catching up just now, as always. But science operates, modern science operates from the observable reality, right? And it's been, uh, it's become what it's become because of the materialistic paradigm. And it's been very 
helpful and very advanced and we've achieved a lot right we can fly we can drive so it's not uh, it's not negative but it's just that there is the time to understand that what we observe is actually 4% of the visible reality and so we converge in that understanding that oh the primary substance of the universe is information not matter and it's not just a coincidence that we live in the age of information now but it's so much more that's why i'm saying well it's not the information of newspapers and books and so on that information is of a different frequency because this information of books and newspapers is only 4% of what your body perceives. Where are the other 96%? That's what works with the Akashic records. That's the Akashic experience. So how do we connect with that field? How do we work with that field? If we are not scientists and if we are not intending to have a Nobel Prize in quantum physics and discover God particle, how do we connect with it as human beings? If we can't see it and if it's, if it's beyond our sensory perception. And that's where the seers and uh, you know, intuitives and psychics, if I may say so, came in, you know, decades ago, where they started connecting with this field. In the, and again, it's not a coincidence that we started talking about the Akashic records and science has been going in parallel direction because that's how thing ha things happen. Because the field that informs, it informs everyone, it's there. You know how if you work in research and you think you've come up with this original paper, you publish it or you submit it for publication and boom, 10 other papers on the same topic appear at the same time. Why? Well, because this, this is the Akashic field working, because it's time for the idea. And even if you are not intuitive at all, well, you receive information. It's just your conscious mind is not aware of it. So to work with the Akashic records, we first have to acknowledge that, well, the logical mind only has about 4% of information, maybe 5 And the rest of it comes from the body, from the source. And we don't discard the logical mind. We bridge it with let's say, the invisible world with the Akasha. We create new connections. We <laughs> have new muscles evolving. But it's that interplay where the same ideas emerge from different worlds, from different paradigms. Right? So there is the scientific worldview, there is the intuitive worldview, there is, you know, the shamanic worldview. And the same ideas come up from different fields because it's time for them. And so those seers, uh, let's say, um, you know, 30 years ago or more, uh, 
And it started with uh, Blavatsky, right, with Yelena Blavatsky. She was talking about the Akashic Records as the library of the universe. And she was kind of paving the way for this modern paradigm that we see in the field of, for example, Akashic Record readings, that, well, if you access that library, if you access that information field, you can find out everything about past lives or the soul's path. And that is true because information is information. It applies on all levels. So that started with Blavatsky over a hundred years ago. Where she, and then, you know, other theosophists who started talking about this memory field of the universe. But of course, it's so fine and so delicate. So how do you work with it? And closer to our time, so seers emerged um, who said, well, we can connect with the Akashic field. Of course, it's in small increments, right? So at first there was Ed Edgar Casey who had his um, kind of the, his Akashic experiences were in a trance. Uh, so he had to go really in an altered state of consciousness where he was disconnected from his physical senses. Nowadays, actually, very few people go into trance. We don't have to anymore. We've trained that muscle. And notice what happens, like this hundreds monkey effect. Someone else trained those muscles for us, but we reap the benefits. Because we didn't have to. I didn't have to go into a trance to read the Akashic Records. I, it took me a few years to get where I am now, and it will probably take me a few more decades <laughs> to even begin to understand something. But I didn't have to go into a trance. I didn't have to take psychedelics. I didn't have to, I don't know, be uh, knocked out and undergo near-death experience. But before us, the first readers they had to go into a trance. It was very difficult. When Reiki first came in, it was extremely rare and a sign of probably sainthood of people were, if people were feeling things. Now it's very common. People feel Reiki energy, even those who never worked with any energy work. They feel things shifting. I remember my first Reiki session. Um, someone who was receiving it and um, I was I was giving a Reiki session to a friend I mean so my first Reiki session as a practitioner um, and a friend came to me and she had an issue with her hip and suddenly she went oh my god did you hear that did you hear that the bone popped my my hip popped into place oh my god and the hip popped into place well I, I wasn't touching it <laughs> I was just sending the energy and doing the clearing for her in the way that, that I still do clearings. And her hip popped into place. And, <laughs> and that was incredible, right? But we weren't, we weren't doing anything special. We just tuned in and she received and I transmitted and that's it. So there was no, no woo-woo happening, nothing, nothing in particular. Um, but... For this to happen, the way was built by others who had much more difficulties, much more considerable difficulties in connecting to those quantum realms, to the Akasha, to that invisible field. 
And the Akasha itself, it's like a wave, right? The the hundreds monkey, boom, we are we are the hundreds monkey. So that collective experience of those we didn't even know and didn't even work with, and suddenly, wow, we are much more sensitive as a collective. If somebody had told me 20 years ago, you know, that my family members would be open, for example, to energy work or that they would be um, working with healers, maybe, or, or going to church or whatever, I would have been shocked. I would have said, no, wow, really? Well, I really hope, but it's highly unlikely. But it happened, right? Not with, because I preached to them, but because of the collective energies, it's me and millions of others who are at the energetic level in the same quantum soup and so we can reap those benefits from the work of the collective you know like a hundred well over a hundred years ago um nikola tesla uh, spoke of an original medium that fills space, and he compared it to Akasha, the ether that carries light. So he had a paper in 1907, um, which was never published, and he wrote that uh, the original medium is a kind of a force field, and it becomes matter when prana, or cosmic energy, acts on it. Uh, in um, Sufi cosmology, it's the pen and the tablet, right? So the Akashic records, it's the tablet, obviously. And uh, prana is the pen that acts on it. So the pen writes, the records receive. Um, so here Tesla has the same idea. And when the action ceases, matter vanishes and returns to Akasha. And... Um, because this medium fills all of space, everything that happens in space can be referred to it. And uh, of course, Tesla's <laughs> at the time, they didn't listen to him. And now we're coming back to this idea collectively, strangely enough, both from the field of science and from the field of lived psychic, intuitive and energetic experience. So we as non-scientists, we, of course, we connect to the Akasha, to the Akashic records through meditation, through our lived experience with the field. But I think it's good to know what it actually is, what we are dealing with. It's the stuff of reality, <laughs> the basis of all existence, the subtle field that carries information, not just what you did, I don't know, 20 years ago. That's okay, fair, that's, that may be important. But what your body is made of, what your soul is made of, what fabric of reality you represent, why you are the way you are, why you have, you know, two arms and two legs and two eyes, that's not a given. So it's the space that informs it all. And back 
in the day, um, as I said, like was was Edgar Casey and others. So there needed to be a complete separation from ordinary waking consciousness. Nowadays, most Akashic Record readers don't even do much of a meditation. They kind of plug into the field straight away. But of course, it helps to have the experience of the field and working with it more and more. The more you work with it, the more you experience it. And um, so, for example, uh, practitioners like Linda Ho and uh, other people, um, they said, well, yes, that magical field that the, <laughs> that you know, the Akasha that uh, the ancients spoke about, well, we can now access it uh, everyone can access it. What they meant was we can access it with the help of high beings. There is a, a universal opening, so the high beings are are helping us. And that's one way of looking at it. But as I mentioned, it's the field itself that informs us. So it's time. And because it's time, <laughs> we have access to it. We have access in increments. It would blow the mind of, well, everyone pretty much. Uh, if you've never heard of this and suddenly you were like, whoa, you know, matter is nothing. <laughs> Energy is everything. Akasha informs the whole reality. And I can see it. You'd be gone. You'd be lost, basically losing all contact with the physical world. Perhaps still alive, but not in a you know functional place. And that happened to people uh, in many cultures over centuries. Uh, that, that sudden revelation of reality—it's too much. The mind can't handle it, so it comes in small increments. And uh, yes, one way of connecting to the akashic field is through working with guides and high beings such as ascended masters right or, or spirit guides uh, i always share this funny story that my first guide into the akashic records was bernard of clairvaux a, a saint an 11th century uh, catholic saint uh, oddly enough the writer of the rule of the knights templar so basically the founder of the Knights Templar <laughs> Order. I didn't know that at the time. I was just very surprised what, what was Bernard doing, guiding me into the Akashic Records. But that was the, the starting point. And we go on from there. So it comes in increments. No, from our waking human consciousness, nobody can just pop in <laughs> and <laughs> see everything about everything. So we have those processes and we have natural safeguarding mechanisms that allow us to receive what we are able to receive. And the same applies with client work, for example. I can't receive what a client is not able to process or understand. So, of course, those mechanisms are in place. So we know what we need to know. And what we are not able to understand, we're not able to understand anyway, no matter who or what says it to us. We can't hear it, can't see it. But this is changing. And I find it so wondrous and beautiful that the 
Akashic paradigm, it starts penetrating, right, all layers of society. And even in the field of intuitive work and the healing work, people are starting to talk about the Akashic records differently. Like when I started studying them uh, 10 years ago, um, it was, oh, information. There were some practitioners who were approaching it from a more reverent perspective, but many people were just, oh, that's that's about past lives, right? The Akashic Records, it's, it's like the book of past lives. Well, you know, just like matter is 4%. Yeah, <laughs> it's about past lives. But it's more, it's so much more than that. For me personally, past lives have become uninteresting, although I can definitely talk about them. And sometimes... It's a stage, right? It's important to go through a particular stage without skipping it. It's important to grieve and to be happy and to learn about past lives. Ten years ago, it was a big deal. Now, for me personally, it's not. It's kind of, okay, well, so, you know, we're ready, <laughs> ready to move on. What's the point of doing the same thing over and over again for millennia? It's Maybe it's time to do something different. But you need to see what you've been doing before you go on to the next stage. So, of course, it's a process. But people have started talking about the Akashic Records in a more reverent, more holistic way that, well, no, it's not just about information. And again, back in the old days, like 30 years ago, people didn't have those abilities. They didn't receive information. Now almost, you know, we in the intuitive field, we almost take it for granted. Oh, we just start talking and information comes. Well, the old seers, a lot of information we're basing our, for example, galactic readings on, like where did you incarnate in the universe? And by all means, it's not complete, but we have it from the people who doused for this information. Sometimes with yes or no answers, with a pendulum in a state of trance, and then they would have some channeler to come in and help them and receive, you know, more coherent flow of information. For example, who are the Arcturian souls? Well, someone worked on it, but was very rudimentary. And now most people don't even work with the pendulum anymore in the Akashic Records. But 30 years ago, it was the norm, because nothing was coming through. Nothing. (laughs) And again, maybe 500 years ago, it was different. And it was coming through. But in a world of materialistic perspective, when three generations have passed, who only, or almost exclusively, saw that, then of course we've lost that muscle of living in a space that is not separate, where science and experience and, you know, spiritual experience is not separate. And that's another gift of the Akashic Records, in that it unites science with the spiritual experience.
so we can have a lived connection to the Akashic Records. And we can understand that it's the Akashic Records that have informed science and advances in technology. And yes, sometimes our egos have misinterpreted those technological advances. But the Akashic Records themselves are a living field that informs and those ideas the ancients had <laughs> thousands of years ago. So they're there. They are in the Akashic Records. It's just we are catching up and saying that we are inventing the bicycle again, right? We are like reinventing the wheel. And wow, amazing. And the wheel was there <laughs> thousands of years ago, if not hundreds of thousands. But for us, it's very important. So we reconnect to the source to all that is. And that is part of the Akashic experience. It's a lived connection to the Akashic records. And I wanted to leave you with the thought that, well, everything is about connection. We have lived because of the mechanistic perspective. Imagine you're like a clock. Right? You, you're a machine. So there are the fingers, there are the whatever, you know, toes, the eyes, the, the legs, the feet, and they are connected by nerves and sinews and blood is flowing and it's kind of like all very mechanistic. And then that's you and there is um, someone else, right? And there is someone you love, someone you don't love. And they're all separate and like parts in a machine. Well, they are different machines such as your machine has its own parts, their machine has their own parts. It's a very, very separate worldview. And all the depression, all the anxiety, all the pain, all the separation. Think that, you know, the twin flame concept, it just it blew up in the past decade. Why? Because we long for a connection, because we know at, in the very heart of hearts, at the depths of our being, we know that we're not separate and we don't want to be separate. And it's the Akashic field, it's the Akashic records that brings forward this old knowledge. <laughs> it's not a new concept. But this awareness into the conscious minds that, no, you're not a machine. Everything is connected to everything else. And that's what we are going through, collectively rebuilding that connection. It, for some people, again, it emerges right as love, this all-encompassing love. Problem is we interpret it from the framework that we used to know, and it's not working. So we need to take a different perspective for it to work from the Akashic perspective, from the perspective of interconnectedness. So we collectively are like rewiring our brains, remembering that, oh, I'm not a machine. I am a universe in miniature. And I am connected to the stars and the galaxies and the people around me. I'm part of a living web. And this understanding, of course, it's very difficult to transmit it intellectually. It has to be felt. How to feel it? I would say the best way is to connect to someone who already feels it.
if everything is interconnected and if 96% of our lived reality is beyond logical mind and observable, uh, you know, separation and mechanical universe, then it would make sense that someone who already carries this awareness in their energy field can impart it to you energetically, right? So if you go together in a meditation with someone who works it, who lives it, to the extent that it's available, I mean, no one is in the Akasha 100% of the time, <laughs> as long as they're alive. So to, to the extent, but connecting to the field of another person, and again, the field, right? The field will inform you, not the words, because the words, as you know, very well, someone can tell you something and you realize what they said 10 years later. So, oh, that's what he meant and he was right. Huh? I hated it. <laughs> I didn't understand it. But you can be informed by the field of someone who has experienced it, who had this. So let me give you a kind of a more uh, perhaps easily understandable example. Think of, um, there are many spiritual practices right now, right? So you can have, I don't know, breath or connecting with the elements, for example, connecting with water. So you can do it yourself. You can sit next to a waterfall, for example. So I'm connecting with water. I'm connecting. Yeah, great. Okay. Off I went. You can do it in a group where you have a particular ritual, for example, or maybe you bathe in cold water right in the middle of February. That resets your mind, body, nervous system, especially activates the mitochondria. Or you can connect with a practitioner, a spiritual alchemist, for example, an alchemist, someone who works with an ele element of water or with all elements. Someone who has a relationship with the element water as a living being and a group around that person or one-on-one -on -one, and you go to a water source and that person guides you into the connection. They impart that relationship. They include you in the relationship. And I would think that experience doing exactly the same thing, sitting by a waterfall, but can, it's like, a, okay, connecting to the person who has an experience, but think of it as, it's like someone includes you in a relationship. You can hear, for example, oh, John is a great guy. Uh, John studied uh, whatever at Yale. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so I heard about John. Okay, great. Well, fine. As opposed to someone introduces you to John and you get to talk to him for an hour. Then first of all, you can make your own decision whether he's a great guy or not and see what studying at Yale did, did for him. But you, it's different, right? It's a lived experience. Now you know John. You haven't just read about John or heard about John or meditated at the picture of John <laughs> attempting to connect with him energetically. But now you met John. Now you can say, oh, I know John. So if somebody introduces you to water and says, well, now 
I introduce you to water, right? Get to know water. Of course, it's more effective. It's more efficient. And so you can have the same spiritual practices. For example, I don't know, uh, breathing or the same meditation with water. And it will make no effect in some circumstances and it will have an effect in others. Why is that? Well, because of the energy field of the practitioner. Or it can also be because you're not ready to receive. If you're not ready, nothing is going to happen. That's, that's also a fact. And no one can, can influence that. But so, for us to begin restructuring our field and our connection, we also need to understand that, well, it works in a non-mechanistic way. So the energy field of a practitioner has even more to say than the information they convey, for example, or the bullet points on their presentation. Yes, the bullet points you can read maybe in 200 other presentations, but can the teacher impart their knowledge to you non-verbally, non-visually? Why did in the ancient times people go to live with a teacher if you can maybe read a manuscript that he had written well the ancients would have laughed because they were much better at understanding that structure of the invisible universe the so-called right empty space no, of course it doesn't work that way. Uh, manuscripts, uh, as someone had written, uh, you know, uh, written documents are a sign of uh, decline. You, you don't write about lived experience. If you are with a teacher and you are in love and on fire, well, you're not going to write. You're going to live it. Who's, who's writing in the middle of lovemaking? No one. Because it's, there is time for writing. I'm not saying never write, never speak again. Make love, not war. But when you are in the middle, when you are on fire, you're not writing. That comes later. That's why, you know, Jesus, Muhammad, etc. They never wrote anything. Other people wrote for them or, or about them or wrote down their words. But the words were transmitted they were spoken and there was so much added to these words there was the energy of a person and that's why those who were around them also became the founders of the religion of the structure right? because it's the transmission so without realizing that we'll forever be stuck in chasing just new information out there but information in itself is not going to to change you, you can read 10,000 books, and that's a great thing. That's a great thing. You need words to put what you're receiving into coherent speech, because otherwise you'll have a problem, but it's not enough. It won't change your field unless you learn to connect also energetically. Unless, and for the first thing for this to happen is to recognize that the conscious experience is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just this, these 4%, 5%, right, whatever there is. It's exactly the same as in the universe. The space is everything else. And then we can start working. So 
to have a lived experience of the Akashic Records, we first have to acknowledge that there's so much that happens on the energetic level, that the energy of the transmission can actually do more for you than information of the transmission. can be a very, very simple thing that has a profound effect precisely for that reason, because the energy of the person who transmits it does the work not the piece of information, for example, right? Or not the particular kind of breathwork. So that's also something to pay attention to. So I will leave you with that to get for today. I think it's enough. So let's, let's have that lived connection to the Akashic records and the Akashic experience at one step at a time. So many blessings to you, all the best, and I'll leave the links to connect with me. And we're also starting um, meditation groups in March, uh, so there'll be free meditation alternating Wednesdays and Saturdays. The first meditation is March 6th. That's in March, it will be 6 p.m. European time from April, one hour later. I'll put the links in and uh, wish you many blessings until next time.